So if you believe your calling is to be a doctor, be in medicine, what happens if you can't be a doctor? What happens when you retire? Your purpose can't be something that's tied to a profession, a cause, a anything. It needs to fundamentally be a manifestation of who you are that is true wherever you show up. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Go With Julio podcast. I'm a tech marketer turned leadership coach on a mission to educate, inspire, and empower you to unlock your best, most authentic self as a leader. If you're ready to confront the hard things getting in the way of your success in a way that's real and honest and loving, then you're in the right place because you can and you will. Let's go. How you doing, everyone? We have a really great episode. I'm excited for you. My friend, Aaron Hurst, was in town and popped over to the studio to get on the mic, and we had a really powerful and profound conversation around purpose. Aaron and I met this year, actually, at uh, Modern Elder Academy in Baja, Mexico, and we just hit it off. He has helped hundreds of thousands of people discover and activate their purpose. So this episode is for you if you're seeking clarification of your purpose. You don't understand what purpose is. Um, you want to get a different perspective on purpose. Give this a listen and see what comes up for you. For those of you who want to go further, Aaron has a book, and the book was the catalyst, actually, for the movement to bring purpose into businesses at scale. So let's welcome Aaron, and let's get into it. I hope you enjoy this episode. I am so excited to welcome a very special guest today, Mr. Aaron Hurst. Welcome. It's so great to be here and in your studio. I'm very inspired by all the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. So we met at the Modern Elder Academy. We were both in the same week-long program with Light Watkins. Yes. Who taught us, among many things, a new way of meditation, making decisions from heart, so on and so forth. It was a great, great week. It's made such an impact on my life. And part of that is meeting you. So very grateful. Oh, I love that. Well, one of the things, I mean, there's many things about you that, that delight me and intrigue me and I'm so curious about. But one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you here is because I look at you and consider you a purpose expert, at least someone, a beacon of light who can help guide folks right now who are looking to tune in and understand their purpose. And I thought we'd have a conversation around that. I know that many listeners really care about finding purpose and peace right yep. now. So I guess we can start there, which is if someone's listening to this thinking, wow, I want clarity on my purpose. How do you think about that? It's a big question, right? It's like the, it's the question. And I find the first thing people really need to think about is what is purpose and to get past some of the myths around purpose. Because actually it's the, those myths that actually prevent a lot of people from finding meaning in their lives. So maybe I can share a couple of those with you. Just, I think that's a great foundation for folks. Yeah. The first myth is that purpose is a cause. A lot of people believe when they're looking for their purpose, they're looking for a cause. They're looking for the one-legged kitten. They're looking for that thing. It's like, my whole life is about this thing. Yeah. And it is a completely false construct for purpose. It would be lovely to simplify. It was that tight and that obvious and it was just that crisp. But that's not actually what brings meaning to us. I worked for 10 years in a non the nonprofit sector running the Taproot Foundation and saw so many people in the nonprofit sector who were deeply unhappy at work. 
and unfulfilled. And I came across so many people who were working in, you know, jobs you would never expect had meaning behind them. There was no cause related to it. And yet they had profound meaning and fulfillment in their work. Because we tend to want to think the work is what creates the meaning, but we're the one that creates the meaning. So if you're looking for a cause, that is an excuse looking for something outside of you. It's putting the pressure on society, not on yourself. So it starts from the inside and works its way out. That's right. And it's also, it's getting away from this idea of a calling, which is a lot of what people talk about. Is I need to find my calling. Yeah. And a calling really is a fixed mindset towards purpose. If you think about fixed versus growth mindset, fixed is this idea that like there's, I am one thing, I am that stable thing, that's all I can be. So if you believe your calling is to be a doctor, be in medicine, what happens if you can't be a doctor? What happens when you retire? Your purpose can't be something that's tied to a profession, a cause, a anything. Because if it is, it's not organic. It needs to fundamentally be a manifestation of who you are that is true wherever you show up. Your purpose doesn't vary as a parent versus a spouse versus an employee versus a citizen. It's got to be at the core, like who you are. And I've done studies on this with LinkedIn and PwC, NYU, first global studies on it. I mean, it's been very consistent that society gets purpose wrong most of the time because we're a consumer external culture. We want to think that it's something that we can buy or acquire. And it's so attractive. I mean, how wonderful would it be if it was that easy? Yeah. Which goes to one of the other major myths is that purpose is a revelation. That you're going to climb to the top of a mountain and, and like just boom. appear. Yes. And that I would be lovely as well. Like yeah. your one-legged kitten <laughs> tablet comes to you and you're like, that is it. That's what I'm yes. supposed to do. Yes. And it sounds, you know, I think people in the faith community, like that's a part of that narrative. We also find like when I've done lectures at universities, a lot of people go to graduate school expecting a revelation. Like that's actually why they went to grad school. They're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know my purpose. I'll go to grad school. And by the time I graduate, lightning will strike and I will figure out my purpose. So this is another big part of the myth. And both of those things work really well in our society because graduate schools sell tuition based on it. Charities sell donations and service based on it to a large degree. It's a way of uh, commercializing purpose, if you will. So those myths, I think, are just really important as a starting place yeah. um, around this. So the exercise that I find the majority of people find the most value in I'll take you through now, Julio, just as yeah. a fun exercise. Oh, we'll great. see where it goes. Okay. I, I said that. most people. It's not a judgment. So <laughs> Let's do it. So when you're born, little baby Julio, very adorable. I can picture you already. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I even have, I have this photo right here that There's I see. keep. Oh, a little That's older me. at that point, but that is very adorable. Yes, there Very you go. adorable. I actually have a photo of me at two on my desk as well. Just really? remind myself of like pure joy yes it uh, it provides it reminds me of the joy and the childhood nature that i should never lose exactly that i want to stay tuned into and so i literally have to have a photo there to remind me every day yep no i'm the exact same way i've got one in my bathroom and in my office so oh really same z's um, there you go so a little younger so picture yourself at three months what would be your sense of like what is fair and not fair and the answer is nothing because you have no freaking clue as a baby what fairness means. Yeah. Like you, there's no concept of fairness to a baby. Right. It's like you get what you need or you don't get what you need. And that's sort of the, how we're born into the world. And then you realize at a certain point that life isn't fair. And I come out of the Jewish tradition and there's this concept of repair the world. And this idea that we each have a responsibility to help repair the world. And what I've found is that we each in that crucible moment had the way in which we are going to help try to repair the world emerge. 
So I'd love to explore it with you. I mean, what, what first comes to mind, and I'll, I'll share, it's usually not some like civil rights movement. Yeah. It's usually a family related. Yeah. Um, and if it's helpful, I can share mine first as an example, if that makes it easier for you. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, for me, my parents divorced when I was in second grade and I moved with my mother and my sister to Canada, thousands of miles away from my dad. My mother was like profoundly depressed, largely bedridden um, in depression. And I had to a large degree, like raise my sister for many of those years. And just, you know, every morning, like you look at her in bed, unable to truly like parent. And it was this moment where I just realized like, this isn't fair. I shouldn't have to do this as a kid. Mm, Wow. And I've spent the rest of my life and career trying to get people out of bed. Like that's what I've done. I've tried to help people find purpose so that they are motivated and feel like it's worth getting up in the morning. And that that's, that really has been at the core of who I am, um, was coming out of that, that experience. So around that, and then my parents divorced and it's the idea of connection. So it's purpose and connecting people are the things I'm constantly trying to repair the world by helping other people not have that challenge that I had. So I'm curious, I mean, what, what emerges f- for you when you think about early memories of like, this isn't fair? What immediately comes to mind is making people feel like they belong. I always had growing up resistance with my dad. Yep. There was always resistance. I didn't reflect back to him what he had in mind for a son. I was light skinned. I had glasses, crooked eyes, crooked teeth. I was different. I was loud and ram- you know, had a lot of courage to do things that were out of the control and the bounds of yep. his liking. Sure. And so I think there was this feeling of me not feeling like I belonged at home made me want to help other people feel like they can belong wherever yep. they are. And can you pinpoint like a moment, that early painful moment when you remember that emerging for you, that pain of not feeling accepted? Yes. I mean, when I was chubby and the clothes that I would wear, people would poke fun of me at all the time. Yeah. And your father was part of that. Yes. All the time. Yeah. And that's part of that crucible moment. So your reaction to it is where your purpose forms, but it's in formation coming out of that, that place of pain that you want to repair for the world. And it makes sense then if that's, you know, where that pain came from that you've been trying to help others in many other ways, try to celebrate their difference, to celebrate who they are, to have courage, to see their heart as what actually matters in the world because you're responding to that original piece. Now see how that's not a cause. Mm. Like that's a way you show up in the world. If you said it was only to help X population, that's when you start getting towards a cause because it becomes too much of a fixed mindset. You are an engine, a power, a light for helping people with belonging is what I'm hearing. And you do that probably with your husband. You do that with the people in your, your friends and family. You do that in your work. You do it with your coaching is what you're, you're doing, but your purpose manifests out of that childhood moment. Yeah. And I really appreciate you walking me through this because something um, really special happened today. I had two calls. One was a client and one was, you know, the person who helps us with, you know, clean this apartment. She, one day the other week was like, hey, can you, can you talk to my son? Mm. He's in his early 20s. He's at home. He doesn't have a job. He's a little bit sad from his bad breakup. Can you give him a call? And I was like, eh, I'm not sure. And then I was like, you know what? Let me, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. We had a conversation today. This was our third or fourth conversation. And he said, 
you know, something interesting happens whenever we have a conversation. I feel a shakiness in my body Mm. and I literally have to like caress myself or move. I feel Mm. this like vibration happening in my body when we have conversations. And I thought, wow, this is, this is so beautiful because what I'm trying to do is he's being so vulnerable, sharing really what's difficult and what's getting in the way. And I'm just giving it love and holding space and and staying curious and listening to him and believing him and not trying to fix him or solve it or tell him what to do, but just being with him. And it was incredible. He felt like he was like, I feel like I'm talking to a real human being. Like, I feel like you see me. (laughs) Yeah. Which is at the core of belonging, right? At the core of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's powerful. Great. Good for you for doing that. That's awesome. It kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, this is this is the work. This is the power of it. Like when you, it's easy to get to go on social media and get stuck in the comparison. I'm not going fast enough. I need to do more and more, but moments like that, they like, wow, they remind me I'm, I'm connected to my purpose. Yep. No, exactly. And I think you can use that purpose in so many different ways, which is why it really is part of a growth mindset when you approach purpose that way, because it enables you to grow in your ability to actually achieve that purpose, right? Yes. And you start to learn like what skills help me do that? What ways do I need to show up in the world to do that? Yeah. And it's not a light switch that you, I flicked on and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, this is, this is a daily practice. Yeah. It's a way of showing up in the world and listening to it because it's your heart that's driving you, not your head when you're operating with purpose. Yes. It's very powerful. And it's a good reminder when you having a day and you're not feeling centered, it's probably, it's often because you've shifted off of that, the energy that's coming out of that purpose. You said the purpose is coming from your heart and not your head. And so the question I have is, how do you determine if your head's talking to you or if your heart's talking to you? Like, how do you know? You can only know when you're quiet Mm. is the most important thing. And I think in our current society, most people have very little quiet time. There used to be a lot of quiet time and then TV was invented. And then radio was invented for the car. So people stopped being quiet in the car and then the internet and then headphones and like we just don't allow quiet into our lives like we do everything possible to prevent quiet and that tends to keep us in our head or an unconscious heart often in a negative way so i think the key is if you're ever questioning you just gotta sit the hell down be quiet and just listen for it it's never failed me to do that and i haven't heard stories of people doing that where it failed them it may not be the ultimate Step, and I've actually been working with this with my son, who's 15, because he's he's very indecisive, because he's so in his head he can always see all the different possibilities. Like even ordering at the restaurant, deciding what to do, where to go, it's like constantly like there's six different options. Like that one could be good. That one. What if I regret yes, that? Yes. And I was like, you just gotta be quiet. Let whatever is the right thing just emerge as your first thought or your first emotion coming out of it. And even if it turns out not being the best one, it was, it was needed to learn something. Yes. And if you do that, you can be decisive and be operating with heart and that will never steer you wrong. So I've been trying to really work with him on that. And we have it up actually on his wall and post-it notes just to. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, trust your instincts. It's not about how fast you run. It's about how well can you slow down? Yep. And that's exactly what you've just described. That's right. My question is, is when did you get that lesson? Take me to the moment where you got that lesson. I mean, I think sadly I get learned that lesson many times. I don't think it's a one time learning. I think it's something I've been more acutely aware of. I'm on sabbatical this year after, you know, almost 10 years running a tech startup that I founded completely burnt out doing that. And my last organization, the Taproot Foundation before that was like a pure act of love and heart and creativity. 
And then when I left that, I kind of felt like the uh, high school quarterback. I had had such success so early in life. I just didn't know what to do with myself. And I started sort of thinking like, what's, what could be bigger? How do I show I can even even more than this, right? And just got into this mental-based model for success and started bringing in funding and then having to constantly rationalize and support everything that I was doing and just got deeper and deeper into this mental game of justification and trying to optimize everything for the story of like what was happening. And I, the gut was there. I could hear it, but I just did not want to address it because it was too painful to say, I need to not do this because this, this is not healthy for me. It was like legit burnout. Like when I left within a month, like my blood pressure went from unhealthy to healthy in a month. Yeah, actually, I love that you brought that up because I want to read something real quickly. I was looking at your LinkedIn. There was something you said, I'm going to read this post and then we can talk about it. It's been roughly a year since I last worked as a CEO. The impact of the change on my health was almost immediate. My blood pressure went from at risk to healthy in under a month. What I have learned, among other things, is that I was addicted to work. I was addicted to the adrenaline. I was dependent on the identity. I was avoiding quiet and deeper reflection. I look back on it with perspective and wonder how I let it happen. What does it feel like to hear that? Those are your words. How <laughs> it is powerful. always weird to hear your own words. It's powerful. I feel sad for like the me of the past, but I think like anything, that's what had to happen for me to get where I am today. So yeah. that's the lens I try to look at that through. I don't think I'm fully through. I don't think I ever will be. I mean, it's a journey, right? It's so it's not journey. like I have this like revelation either about this piece. I just know that I was avoiding quiet at all costs. Just constantly busy, constantly filled with content, constantly writing, constantly just production, 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 production. And what was interesting is when I left and started just doing projects on my own, I actually saw working a fraction of the amount of time on projects. I was getting more done than I was when I was being so busy. I was not doing a lot of things that were a waste of time. Mm, being more intentional and purposeful with the time. Exactly. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. It's how we choose to use it with intention, with purpose. Yeah. And I think it's, I'm high, high capacity and my identity was tied to that. So, you know, my life mottos to that point were, you know, the cliche, never put off for tomorrow what you can get done today. Like, I don't want to start a day without clean inbox, ready for whatever comes up in the morning. Like, do not let anything like go over to the next day. So that was like very important to me. Uh, my grandfather, who was very successful, you know, his motto was always keep exhilaration in front of exhaustion which was sort of this model as well, um, which sounds awesome and it's perfect in the you know, dot-com hustle culture, but is actually probably not the best advice right. um, to always keep exhilaration in front of exhaustion. So I had all these models and my general default mode was, is there anything I could be doing right now? And I, what I've done is I've flipped that and anytime something comes up, I now say like, what would happen if I didn't do this? And what I find is that most of the time I'd be like, nothing, nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. And I'm like, well, then why am I doing it. I'm doing it to prevent quiet. Ooh. That's where I started to build more self-awareness. Because if that. I could prevent quiet, then I don't have to listen to my heart and have to do the things that take courage. Society rewards busyness. And I'm very, very good at that. Good at staying busy. Yeah. yeah. Well, the part of the reason why I read that quote, it was so beautiful and vulnerable and honest of you because you are a busy person. You are a high performer. You are an executor. So many of the people listening are also in that. And I think the opportunity to reconnect with your purpose is to learn how to slow down. Like Light Watkins says, make your most important decisions from the heart. Yep. No, exactly. 
And it is an addiction. And I think that's the part that people say that. And I think I would have understood intellectually, but you don't really understand it until you're past it. I agree with that. And it has, my sister's in recovery and like, I understand what addiction is. And like, it is addiction. Like it's something that you tie your identity to. You're fundamentally scared of what you're going to be if you don't have it. You're physically addicted to that busyness. Like your body, like your whole, your whole being is addicted to it. Yeah. And it's not something that can go on a vacation for a week. That's not going to do anything. Yeah. Um, it really requires like a reset of your nervous system yeah. and like the building of new habits. Yes. As you said, I'm a year ish into it and I'm still definitely a work in progress on this front. And I still often find myself doing things. I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Just like the habits are really hard to break. Well, what I'm excited about when I witness you and where you are in your journey, we just recently met and seeing this arc is how many people you're going to help who were where you in the position that you were in. And now you're on the other side and you're on the journey. You're learning. You have this wisdom that you're sharing. I'm just, I'm really inspired by that. I mean, you've done so much stuff already. You're, you're doing the reunion at, in Seattle. You're doing your, your purpose workshops. Like you're, yeah. I can feel the momentum. It's interesting. Like a big part of what I'm trying to let go of is scale. Cause it tends to be, when I think about things at scale, that's like a really clear sign that the brain's engaged. That's what I found. Other people may relate to that as well. Scale tends to be, yes, out of a desire to make a difference, but it tends to come out of the head and ego. Mm. And I think part of what I've come to realize is I've become quieter. I mean, like with Imperative, my last company, I mean, we helped over, I think at this point, like three or 400,000 people find their purpose and to be able to connect with other people inside companies made a huge impact. It was all emotionally hollow to me because it was being done at scale through technology. And I felt I didn't see any of it and I wasn't there and I didn't experience it. And I'm realizing that I'm missing, like hearing that, 200,000 people got out of bed in the morning is inspiring. Yeah. Seeing one person get out of bed is way more inspiring. Yeah. And I think a lot of it for me is trying to figure out how to do things at a smaller scale, um, even if that's uncomfortable. So that's part of why I'm going from building technology for hundreds of thousands of people to saying, you know what? I'm going to start doing yeah. retreats in Seattle where yes. for 12 people at a time over a weekend. And we are going to work together to have breakthroughs to like really figure out where it is we want to go in the next chapter in our Ooh, lives. Beautiful. Right? And the old me would have been like, that's dumbass work because it's 12 people. It's not big who enough. Cares? Like, who cares? Who cares about 12 people? Like it's lovely. Yeah. But like, why is like, that's not that important. There's too many problems in the world for you to focus yeah. on 12 people. And I realized that that's mental. And I think it's also, I've made a big impact in the world. Like I, the Taproot Foundation, you know, has helped millions of people. Imperative has helped thousands of people. Like I don't need to help people anymore. I want to, yes. but that need, like I've, I've paid for my place on this earth many times over. Yes. And I need to figure out how to design how I'm helping people going forward that is actually a source of joy for me. Software's interesting problem solving, and I'm not saying I'm never doing it again, but I really, really want to yeah. be in the room. I feel that deeply. That really parallels, thank you for sharing that. That really parallels my experience, which was you go into these big companies and you immediately think scale, technology, scale, 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 and that's your litmus test for an idea. But there's a whole different energy that comes with more personal touch. For me, I'm like, I'm gonna see where it goes. Like yep. maybe it scales, but I'm not letting scale be a requirement in this strategy moving forward for me, at least not yet. Yep. And it's a hard thing to let go of because I mean, financially scale is rewarded. Yeah. Ego wise, like people who do things at scale are rewarded. Um, thinking big is rewarded. So 
it's figuring out, trying to figure out that balance so you can show up in the world, live in the present, because skills also always about the future. And the future is never a heart-based source of inspiration because it's an intellectual construct to begin with. What role does curiosity play in helping you align with your purpose? I think there's different types of curiosity. So the type of curiosity that drives my brain, which has made me effective in those areas, is the question, what if? I love what if. Like with the Taproot Foundation, we figured out how to produce pro bono services at a massive scale globally because I was looking at what if we applied to volunteering a combination of like a McKinsey and a McDonald's, the product of a McKinsey with the mass production of a McDonald's. What if, and like no one else asked that question because like who the hell would compare McKinsey and McDonald's? Right. But like that was the source of like yeah. the insight, right? And I love looking at like, what if you combine this with that? Like, what if you did this? What if you made that pink? And that's a source of innovation. And that's a source of curiosity. Or just It's like trying on different outfits. Like, ooh, what would it look like with that hat or that scarf or those shoes? I think the soul-based, purpose-based version is more like, what if I showed up this way? That's really where I think you start to get at the non-cerebral and the more heart-based curiosity. Because that's where you start to look at empathy. That's where you start to say, well, what if I was in his shoes? What if I showed up differently and just shut up and listened instead of talking so much? Those are the things that I think get you closer to that sort of more meaningful life. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's, it's, it almost feels like it's not a destination. It's a direction. Yeah. I mean, when I, the, the quote that's most commonly cited for my book, The Purpose Economy, is purpose is a verb, not a noun. That really, I think, is one of the major contributions of that book was just helping people make that shift because everyone's looking for the noun. That's the cause. Purpose is about a way of showing up. It's a way about living. And that's why I've really been recently studying a lot more about purpose mindset, which is a concept that I came up with probably five years ago of like looking at like, why are some people fulfilled at work and some people aren't? And Julio is so interesting. Like what we found is it wasn't about, do you know your purpose? Like that was not the main thing. What we found is that there really are people who have a purpose mindset and those who have a transactional mindset. Oh, wow. And if you have a transactional mindset, you make everything into a transaction in one way or another. It's a quid pro quo or it's something you got to win or it's something you need to accomplish. Yes, it's a task. We know those people. Yes. And we've been those people at moments. We've been those people. And there are parts of our lives. We're probably still those people. Yes. And then there's purpose mindset, which is nothing in the world is meaningful unless I make meaning. I am a meaning making machine and I decide how, when I end my day, I'm reflecting and actually making meaning out of what I'm doing. So a transactional mindset person can do the exact same thing in some of the purpose mindset, and they'll just have totally different experiences. Person with the purpose mindset will find that deeply meaningful. The person with a transactional mindset won't. And I really think we can trace almost every problem in society to a transactional mindset. Wow. And I think the big part of what I would love to see in the next generation is like, how do we raise kids? with a purpose mindset instead of a transactional one. Because our school system, a lot of our systems are designed to reinforce that transactional mindset. Mm. What are a couple of the key symptoms? If I'm listening to this, trying to decide, am I transactional or purposeful? How, how do I know? What are the signals? So it's not about whether or not you're doing transactions. People are like, well, like, but if you're in banking, it's like, it's not about transactions, right? right? <laughs> That's the how. Everyone does transactions. Yes. It's a question of the why you're doing something. Ooh. And a transactional person is just doing it for the sake of the transaction, the purpose mindset is doing it and creating meaning around okay, it. Okay. That's big. That's, that's big. the real difference. Most people know what they do, what they're doing. Most people don't know why they're doing what yep. they're doing. And a great example of this, when we studied at LinkedIn, the profession that had, I think it was the most or one of the most 
it was most important whether they were in a purpose or transactional mindset was recruiters. <laughs> oh, really? Is where it had the biggest impact. <laughs> really? And that's because okay. if you think about recruiting, yes. that can be a transaction or it can be a source of deep meaning. You're helping yeah. someone find someone for their team. A that's purposeful make a big relationship. Yeah. You're helping someone find a job. These can be like deeply coaching oriented, meaningful transactions, or they can be transactions for transactions. Right. So I think it was really interesting. That was a real aha for me to see that that was the profession where it showed up most because you really truly can approach that job in two totally different ways. Wow, that's beautiful. And I say something similar but different using different language. Like for me, it's about intention, but the purpose versus transactional is I try and make sure if I don't have a clear intention, I'm not doing it. So the intention propels and determines the outcome. The energy that I put out, I know is coming back to me. Trying to make a purposeful decision as opposed to transactional, I know I'm getting a bigger return with the former than right. the latter. Because you're intentional and the upfront, you're defining that purpose. Exactly. And that's half of it. And it's a very important half of it. I think everyone has to acknowledge and get the idea that no work is meaningful. Nothing is inherently meaningful. Animals don't understand the idea of meaning. We create meaning. The second you think your boss creates meaning, your company creates meaning, anyone creates meaning, you're taking the responsibility from yourself to Ooh, someone else. That's big. And meaning creation is done through one thing pretty much and one thing only. R reflection. Nothing has meaning if you don't reflect on it, right? Our relationship, if I don't reflect on it, our relationship's not meaningful. But if I, after this conversation, go back and be like, you know what? These are the things I really appreciate my friendship with Julio and like, I'm really grateful to have him in my life. That's so much more meaningful of a relationship, but just cause I spent two seconds thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So the intention's important, which could be like <laughs> when I came up here, like, Oh, I want to do this to be closer to Julio and I want to build a friendship, but it's just as important on the way out to be reflecting on that same thing. Cause that's how you're actually putting that in your, your bucket. Yeah. Your purpose. And bucket. it almost feels like there's some neuroplasticity energy going on here as you take the For time sure. to intentionally reflect on it. Right. Like you're, yep. you're, you're unconsciously putting that into your brain. Yep. And that's the only thing that's really been shown to improve happiness. I mean, hedonic adaptation, I don't know if you've ever studied it, but it's just fascinating how whenever the great things happen to you, like even if it stays great, it eventually just becomes normalized in your brain. And people in like horrible situations, same thing happens. You're like, how could someone be like living a normal life under those circumstances? They normalize it. Um, you look at the book, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, Viktor Frankl. Right. Yeah. In the Holocaust. I mean, you find a way, like your body and your brain naturally does that. And you have the set point of your sort of natural happiness. And the only thing that really has been shown to consistently cause that to go up is really this meaning making through helping others and by building meaningful relationships. Everything else is wow. BS, basically. Those are the things that actually change your set point and your ability to be happy I love the helping others thing, too, because this is related to something I saw on your LinkedIn, which was around when you have free time, use it to serve others. Do something bigger than yourself. This will help you find your purpose and path forward. Yeah. That's beautiful. I do that a lot. Like when I, especially as I've gotten into this practice of not just trying to stay busy. Yeah. When I find myself at a moment where normally maybe I would have done something to stay busy or watch TV or do something, I pause and I think, is there anyone's life right now who I could make a little bit better today? Like any small thing I can do to, to give love to someone else. And often it's my dog. It's often like, you know what? Why don't I take my dog for a walk? Like, <laughs> yeah. like why not just take him? Like he would love it. Yes. Get out and just like do that. What's your dog's just, name? 
Nucky. Nucky, okay. Yeah. Um, which is hard now because he's blind. So the walks have gotten, oh. it's like he walked into a sign the other day. It was like oh, the saddest. It's so hard to watch your dog get old. Mm. It's heartbreaking. But that's, it's, it's something that I try to teach my kids. It's something that I encourage people. Like when you have a moment, you're like, what do I want to do with this? Think about how you could be of service. And it's not about big ass service. It's about taking the dog for a walk. It's about cleaning up the house a little bit. It's about sending someone a note, yeah, calling grandma, it's, it's, whatever it is. Yeah. It's, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think about this a lot with my mom. She's kind of living a nomadic life right now. And she was saying to me the other day that she, one of her greatest sources of energy is being in service of others. So she has a friend who has stage four cancer with a, with a young kid and she calls her regularly and just has loving conversations and back and forth. And there's just a fullness of energy that comes. So here's this woman She's trying to figure her life out, but she's taking phone calls and talking to friends who have stage four cancer, recognizing that me in this moment being of service just through a phone call, just seeing this person, holding space for this person, gives me a little bit more energy to go another day. Yep. And it's, I think that there's a lot of us who we retreat and we become insular and isolated. We have to reconnect with that part of us that wants to be, to recognize that the, the way station is through the service of others. I think of success as my formula is service plus significance. Hmm. Success is a function of your service and the significance of that service equals success for me. That's kind of how I think about it. That's a beautiful equation. It reminds me also of, you were talking about Light Watkins who was at that retreat we did. Yeah. And he had a line that stuck with me and I don't know if the exact verbatim, but it was basically whatever you want in the world is what you need to give. Ooh which I just think is powerful. And it's funny, I was actually watching an interview between Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge, so Dodgers and Yankees, baseball references. <laughs> he said almost something identical. It's like, if you want to be happy, help others be happy first. Yeah. It's like the same, this sort of same idea of just service and it's biological advice. Like that's the way we work. The most selfish thing you can do is help somebody else. Ooh, right? that's big. The most selfish thing you can do is help somebody else. Because that's the only thing that actually is going to actually create sustained value yeah. for yourself. You know, the last thing I wanted to chat with you about yeah. that I loved on your LinkedIn was talking about your capacity to ask for help and realizing at some point along your journey that not everyone shared that value yeah. of yours. And in fact, asking for help is one of the hardest things for people to do. It's just, it's so hard for me to understand that. I was trying to think about why, because I just get so frustrated with, especially as a leader, you have people on the team and I'm just like, go ask, ask for help. For help. And actually I was just having lunch with someone today and we were talking about it. Like people want to help if you give them a really well-defined need and explain why you need it. People want to help. Okay. So let's assume someone's listening to this and they have us an idea. They want to ask somebody for help, but they're not sure how, how do we help them take the first step? It's interesting. Going back to baseball, they say the worst batting instructors are the ones that were really good at batting because they don't know how to deconstruct it for that person. Because <laughs> yeah. I had learning disabilities as a child, I learned really quickly, like I was never gonna be successful on my own. And that like, without, if you don't ask for help, you don't go in anywhere. Yeah. So I think I learned that very early on, especially with a mother who wasn't like able to really be as active as needed. You know, I learned that that's how you get things done. And I learned with the Taproot Foundation, which was fundamentally about asking business professionals on top of their busy lives to do pro bono work. And people did that and they loved it. So yeah. I think the key, the key thing is to like think about what it is that you're asking of somebody. And is it discreet? Is the purpose of it clear? 
Is it clear why they're in a position to do that? And if you can do those things, like clearly define what it is, identify the purpose, and identify why that person has got some special ability to help with that, you're going to be batting 900 on that. Like people yeah. are looking for what people don't want. Will you be my mentor? Yeah. <laughs> no. You're like it's amorphous nonsense. Nobody like I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying yes yeah, to. No. Right? You're like, sure. What does that mean? Right. So true. And actually I got called on this today, which was actually funny. So I was at lunch with a friend <laughs> and you know, people that I care about, like I often end with like, well, let me know how I can be helpful. Like I'm here. Like, how can I be helpful? Yeah. Let me know. And she responded, well, in what ways could you be helpful? And I was like, damn it. <laughs> No one's ever asked me that. I hate that question. Like it totally threw me. In what ways can I be helpful? I was like, I don't know. Like just I'm in spirit. Like I'm here to be helpful. Let me know. So it goes both ways that way too. I'm realizing, which is offering to help too. When you do it generically. Yeah. Isn't very, I mean, it's nice in spirit, but it's actually not very helpful. Yeah. And well, what's interesting for me is I had childhood struggle, but you, it sounds like you, what came from that was, I know I can ask for help and, and not do this alone. And what came for me was, I need to do this alone because if I ask for help, it signals that I'm weak. It signals that I'm, there's a lack of, I'm not good enough. And so I was very armored around where I asked for help. And I think that there are a lot of people who also share some of that. And I think the opportunity is to come back to remembering it is part of our nature to be in connection with one another to help. Now there's a way to do it, of course, as we just discussed. There's a way to be discerning about your approach and how yeah. you engage and ask for the help. It is hard for a lot of people. Going back to your question of like advice, which is always cheap and advice is usually not very helpful, but I will try. <laughs> I think the first thing is just to recognize, like, do you help people? If you're someone who doesn't help other people, then like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't ask for help. Mm. I think the first step for me is like, if someone asks me for help, my default is yes, unless I can't. My default's not no. My default is like, how can I help you? So if you're someone whose default is no to everything, like you're probably putting that out in the universe and it's probably what you're going to get back. Yes, you are. So I think the first thing is check yourself. Are you someone who like helps? That doesn't mean you need to have boundaries. There are like lots of exceptions to that. Yeah. I think the second thing is to think like if you were that person and you asked this, what would you say? And my guess is most of the time you'd be like, oh, of course I would do it. I think the third is if they say no, what happens? What's actually at stake here? Most of the time, nothing's at stake or very little. Yeah. I mean, what is at stake is you'll feel an emotion. You will have some energy in your body that will be expressed as a feeling, and your job will be to figure out what do you do with that feeling? How do you get curious about it, understand it, relax and let go, and move past you, and then you ask someone else? Yep, exactly. And then I think the purpose piece is really critical. So I'll just give you an example, silly example, right? Tell my son to clean up the goddamn house. Your stuff is everywhere. Not likely to do it. Max, I've got people coming over tomorrow night that are really important to me and I really want them to like feel like they're comfortable here at home and that our family like cares about them and therefore has put the effort into having them here. And it would be really helpful to me if you could partner with me in putting this stuff away so that when they come over, they can have a great experience and therefore strengthen my relationship with them. Yes. Drops everything he's doing and helps. Yes. It's the same ask, right? But it's because I put the purpose. Yes. Wow, I just I just had this today with a client who's doing performance reviews and she said, I want I don't want the person who I'm giving the review to to feel like I'm diminishing them or attacking them, but and I find myself cushioning that behind every question that I ask in the room 
is there a better way? And one of the ways that we explored <laughs> was how about you just start the conversation and say, Hey, I know that this is an uncomfortable conversation because emotions are evolved and any t- they can get weird, but I want you to know that everything that I share with you today in this conversation is intended to help you grow and be stronger and to create a, an opportunity for us to talk through how to help you grow because we believe in your capacity to be here. That's why you're here as an employee of this company. If you can start the conversation from there, it's about being clear about the intention, not just what, but why you're doing it. In my experience with that specific scenario, people that you want to keep know what the problem is already. Like they already know that there's an issue there. I think the trick I found is to change the conversation so that they're surfacing it because it's very different if they surface it than you do because then they own it. You know, what I found in our research and in practice was there was like three areas that if you explored with somebody and you created a safe space for it and you actually shared with your shared your own vulnerability around the areas that you're working on, um, you build the trust and they identify and therefore they own it and therefore they actually make change. So when I explore, how are your relationships at work right now? What's working? What's not working for you? Are you building meaningful relationships? Are you building lasting ones? People start identifying interpersonal challenges that they're having as well as ways that they could have more. You ask, are you making the impact you want to be making at work right now? In what ways are you, what ways aren't you? Again, things will come up immediately. And then, do you feel like you're growing at work right now? In what ways and what ways not? And what would you like to do to improve that? It's very rare that the issue that I had in my head at the start of that meeting doesn't come up that they bring it up. It's coaching instead of confrontation. Yeah, I keep coming back to before it was called coaching, it was called leadership. Like a lot of what I'm doing in these coaching sessions is helping leaders become better coaches. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's the key. Like, remember we talked about what is a purpose-driven company? It's not about them having a purpose. A lot of it has to do with, do they have a coaching culture? Ooh. Because coaching culture is bringing out the purpose in everyone. And I think too many companies are focused on the company's purpose, not on employees. And actually the strength comes out of the people, not. How do you know whether you're coachable or not? It's a spectrum, like everything. I think, do you listen when people are talking to you, are you immediately formulating a response? Do you tend to show curiosity about how other people behave and how you behave yourself? Or do you go more into rationalization and justification of who you are? Do you constantly look at whatever you've done and you know, acknowledge success, but also always sort of looking at how could I have done that better or what can I learn from that? Do you see in other people always some wisdom or something that they could give to you, even if it's not someone that you maybe respect in 95% of what they do, but like, do you still see that 5% of something you can learn from everybody? Those are some of the traits I think of when I think of someone who's coachable. Beautiful. How does that align with your... Yeah, that sounds right. I think we all have the capacity to be coachable. It takes courage to be coached. It takes tapping into the courage within you to be able to feel all the different emotions and talk about the hard things getting in the way. There's so many how-tos out there. There's ChatGBT, there's podcasts, there's books. But in order to make any of that work, we have to be able to talk about the hard things getting in the way in a way that's non-judgmental and loving and caring and well-intentioned. That's the mission I'm on. How can we create more of those spaces so that leaders don't have to make the same mistakes that I made, for example? I think a lot of my good judgment comes from a whole lot of bad judgment. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. That's how we learn. That's how we learn. Yeah, no, it's it's so important to create that space. And I think it's really hard, especially in tech, where it's just go, 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 because reflection doesn't happen. That's and right. Reflection is the core of coaching. And if you don't create space for reflection, you're not coaching. And you're not creating a coaching culture. 
Beautiful. In the spirit of what we've been talking about. Okay. Let's reflect on this conversation. Sure. Like, let's do was it. it. Like what meaning or value did you get out of this conversation? What are you taking away? Mm. Well, I think the, one of the most powerful things for me was, was very early on that your some of your purpose is derived from that part of you that is trying to solve a problem and be of service to the world in some way. It makes sense that creating out in tech, doing lots of community service work, starting this podcast, I'm trying to solve belong, the belonging yep. crisis. I'm trying to make people not fit in, but be more of who they are. I love it. The reminder for people and for myself is that it's, we're not just going to wake up and it's going to appear there. It's like, we're all waiting for the moment, but I think the moments are waiting for us. And it's a function of every day showing up. Who do I want to be in the world and moving in the direction of that? It's not a road we cross. It's one we walk along and you can enact and embody your purpose today, right after listening to this. Yep. That's powerful. Yeah, I agree. For for me, yeah, what's for I've you? done a lot of podcasts. This is the first time I've done one in person. I'm just really grateful to be able to be in a room with you <laughs> and just to spend the time with you, like not Yay. just over Zoom. Like it's just nice. Yeah. And I just am grateful for the moment of being able to do that. And your beautiful studio with the sunlight from New York. It's just that's amazing. Oh, thank and you. As much as I do this every time, like it helps remind me that like the work I've done today and the work I'm doing, like. There is audience for it. There are people out there who can benefit from things that yeah. I've experienced or that I'm seeing in the world. And that brings meaning to that experience and also to my life to know that there are people who want to hear that yes. and where that's value. And I think a lot of people assume when people have published books and they've done all this, you don't necessarily know, like, is this needed? Is this really helpful to people? So it just, this really helps me reconnect with that and sort of makes the past meaningful, but also the, the current moment. And it also just made me reflect on how grateful I am for just be operating in a world of yes, we're like going to Baja and meeting you, you know, and like what ripples from those decisions <laughs> yes. or when we first met, like just being able to like open up and like put yourself out there, how much comes from that and ripples through your life. Um, and who knows what will come of this conversation. So it was just a reminder again about serendipity and just putting yourself out there because that's how conversations like today happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because you're such a beacon of light and then knowing who you are and the work that you've done around your ability to articulate purpose and inspire people to step into their purpose. That's why I was immediately like, you're in New York. We have to do this. Like this is, you know, we're all on the journey to be more connected to our purpose and you've done the work to help figure out how do we articulate this for people. So keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And, um, I hope those who are listening, who are on the journey to find their purpose, look you up and reach out to you. Where can people uh, learn more, find more about you? Yeah, and I would love it. LinkedIn's the best place to connect with me. Yeah, um, you got a lot of followers over there. I'm like, hello. Start early. It's, it helps to start early. Um, and I have a name that starts with two A's. Um, that's why in the phone book, uh, all the companies are called like triple A, whatever it is. I'm at double A, so that helps. As you shared, I'm starting up uh, these uh, retreats. In Seattle, um, I'm going to do one about once a month for, it's actually for friends or for couples who want to come Ooh. and do this work together. Yes. Of exploring your purpose and redesigning your life to optimize for meaning based on the science. And y'all, for those of you who are listening, these things work. These things are useful. Being able to take time to slow down and to reflect and to be in connection with other people, to write and to journal and to answer questions, 
this is where the magic happens. We're all racing so fast, but these kinds of investments are really valuable. And I love that you're offering that for people on the West Coast who are on the journey. No, absolutely. And coaching is valuable and you need that at certain times. And sometimes you need more of a concentrated like weekend of just yes. all in for a period of time with people who are also going through it, um, which is why I'm really excited. We're just doing the betas in the next couple months and then launching next year. Good. So if you're interested in that, it's uh, called sharedpurpose.live because to my point earlier, like I miss being live with people. So yes. this is about being live, sharing purpose. So check it out. Love feedback. But this was so much fun. Thanks for uh, having me over. Hey, what a blessing. And I'm so grateful to be your friend. Here's to many more years of lots of fun conversations. Bring it on. All right. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.